When I was in high school, I came from a, like a G- Christian junior high, which set me back like all the cool points you could have starting off. And um, when I went to Dunbar High School, I didn't know a single person. It was pretty difficult because everyone came from the same junior high school or elementary school, but I didn't know anyone. And I remember, as I talked about last week, in elementary school, I just got rejected a lot, right? And in high school, I started building up friendships. I was somewhat cool. Again, Christian junior high, so you have to qualify cool. Um, Going to high school, I didn't know anyone. And I remember thinking, like, explicitly that I would do anything for a group of friends. I would, I, all I wanted was a group of friends to hang out with. And I wanted to be one of the popular kids. So I remember I wandered around campus hoping to find the most popular group to belong to. So some of my career was playing basketball, and um, that was short-lived because I tore my ACLs. But even prior to that, I was playing power forward. And that was great in my Christian junior high school of like 60 kids. But once I went into Diamond Bar High, like the point guard was 6'1", right? So I played a year and a half, and then... um, and then I looked around, and then at that time, the cool kids were the gangsters. Like, this is like straight out of Compton, you know, all of that was going, Tupac, you know, so on and so forth. And so I bought, like, the baggiest pants my mom would let me buy. Like, I, you know, cut my hair really short, got super long bangs that you could, like, the longer your bangs were, the cooler you were, okay? Back then, back then. And, and I wanted to be a gangster, so I, I hung out with all the gangster kids, and uh, they didn't really like me. I was like kind of a tag along. There's this really awkward picture of me at Sadie's with the girl I invited and like all these really cool kids. And I just like snuck into their group picture. And then for the rest of the year, they're like, who, who is that guy? You know, like, and I, I was hoping to be cool. And then uh, finally they started accepting me. But it was like difficult to try. And when I say gangster, I mean like wannabe, suburban, Asian, like the lowest kind, you know what I'm saying? Like the bottom of the barrel gangster, but it was cool in my context, okay? So uh, I was hanging out with them, and there started to be the sense that I wanted to belong with them, but I also wanted to belong as, as a Christian. And there was this conflict between the two, because instead of this, saying the F word, I said like frocking, you know, it's just not as cool. <laughs> Um, you know, and then, you know, everyone would spit in a circle. It was, and then my spit would kind of like run down my, my chin and like dribble off of me. Um, and then of course they wanted to start doing drugs. And I remember at our house, sorry, mom and dad, they, they sold drugs once, you know, and I was like, I, I felt really upset by that. Cause I, I knew that, um, I was a Christian and, and it was hard to reconcile the two worlds. And I wonder if we ever felt like it was hard to belong. If we ever felt like there was a cap in the way we could climb the social ladder or the type of friends that we can have um, because of our faith, that there might be conflicts or there might be the sense of strangeness in the things we value and the things the world values. After a while, I just knew that this wasn't, who God wanted me to be in terms of my identity. So I went from a basketball player to a, to a pretend gangster to like an IV student, which I failed like two classes. So I had to leave that group. And then all of a sudden when I was praying, God said, why don't you find your belonging and your identity in me? 
why, why is, does it have to be all these other groups? And so I took some friends that went to high school with me from my church, and I said, what if we just prayed together before school started and reminded each other of our identity in Jesus? Reminded each other that before we were, you know, an ASB kid or uh, a baller or a cheerleader or a gangster, that we were, we were Jesus. We were Jesus people first. And our little group of five grew to 10, and our little group of 10 grew to 20, and our group of 20 grew to 50 to 60, 70 kids would gather every morning and worship God together and remind each other of our identity. And at first, like, other kids would make fun of us, but then someone from their group would walk up that hill and start praying too. And so we had we had cheerleaders and football players and a teacher, and we had losers and film people and drama people and band people. And it was just kind of everyone together saying, we, were, we are Christians before we are any of these other things. You know, Jesus talks about belonging in John chapter 15, verse 18 to 19. This is a really tender conversation because Jesus is about to go to the cross. He had come in on a victory march. People are putting palm branches down, shouting Hosanna, right? Telling him that he's going to be king. And so his disciples are amped up. They're walking into Jerusalem, expecting Jesus to conquer the Roman Empire and to set up his throne. But instead, Jesus is thinking of another kind of kingdom, not territory and swords and scepters. But he says, I'm going to be a king through service and sacrifice. So he gets on bended knee, he pulls out a washcloth and washes the feet of his disciples. He tells his disciples what friendship looks like, what leadership looks like in the kingdom. It's one man giving up his life for another. And here, maybe in the largest of tensions, he delves into persecution into what it looks like to live in the tension of being in the world but belonging to Jesus. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. This idea of hate it has a large uh, spectrum. It's not just active persecution or, or violence, but it, it miles out all the way to this sublime rejection and pushing away, the separation. And then the word world here has three uh, major definitions when it comes to biblical text. The first one is just creation and like the land we step on, the oceans we see, the mountains. The second word, world, is used to talk about the population or all of mankind. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So that's talking about every person on earth, the totality of, of mankind. But the, the, word, the way it's used here, world, is talking about systems of evil. And that's from a Bible dictionary. But evil, I would say, maybe uh, can be expanded to systems of value, ethics, um, purpose that are outside of God, that are idolatrous or counter to the character of God. Let's talk about one system just to have some 
idea of what this is saying. So one of the systems that we have in our culture, very prevalent, is, is the love and worship of money. And we're educated in this. We have songs and medias about this, right? This guy talks about, I want to be a billionaire so freaking bad, right? And, and our whole generation kind of regist, uh, resonates with, with that, with that uh, underlining tone and, and, and uh, message. And then we have marketing. Uh, don't feel bad if, you're, if you have a Louis Vuitton purse right now. But um, I, I talked to a, mark, a marketing representative from kind of these high-end brands, and, and he said something really interesting. He said, these brands aren't for the wealthy, because a lot of the most wealthy people don't buy LV. They're for people who want to be wealthy, people who desire wealth and want to represent themselves as wealthy. I found that to be very interesting. And so we think about how the marketing in this world is, is really speaking about the illusion and value of wealth versus actually obtaining it. It's giving that persona, and we want to buy into that. And then we have heroes of wealth, like Mark Cuban, right? I, I love Shark Tank, and he's like one of my favorite, um, you know, sharks, I guess. And I've and then between two seasons, they, they changed the whole introduction so that he would be referred to as a billionaire instead of a millionaire. I don't know if any of you guys caught that, but it's, it's speaking to the hierarchy in which he lives. It, I'm sure there's a part of him that was discontent with Kevin being the only billionaire on the show, right? And so he wanted to re be referred to as that. And then we have the believers of of loving money and worshiping money. This is um, someone I found on Facebook. He talked about this, this host who hosted a party. He dropped $28,000 on the tab. He's 63 years old, dating a 24-year-old girlfriend. And this is his conclusion. Goes to show you that hard work, uh, hard work and money will solve everything, right? So there's this whole system of education, marketing, heroes, maybe arenas, mansions, the allure of Vegas, and then those who believe in that system. And so we have this hierarchy that's built up. Um, and we have maybe people who are poor at the bottom, who can't afford anything, who are impoverished. And as we move up to middle class, and middle upper class, and then uh, the wealthy, we have a whole system of people wanting to be at the top wanting to be the most wealthy. And so when I think about the world, this is one facet of it. This, this idea of pyramids, of ladders, of wanting to rise to the top and, and, and concentrating all of our purpose, all of our value, all of what life is about right up here and trying to ascend there. And this could be money, but it could also be beauty, right? Who, how do we market beauty? Who, who are the heroes of beauty? Who are the women that we've put on pedestals that say, all of you should look like this, this Victoria's Secret model, right? And then how do we rank each other? How do we see ourselves in that pyramid of beauty? How do we look at our friends and, and find value in there? Uh, and, and in business, or when we think about 
being a gangster, right? Like there's uh, the wannabe gangsters like me, like barely wannabe. And then I remember being in that world and it's like, oh, if you got in a fight, you rose the rank, right? If you carried a knife or, or if you owned a gun, you're like really hardcore. And if you shot someone, then, you know, I wouldn't be your friend anymore, but you get a teardrop on your eye and like you're like, you're like bad, right? You're legit. And so think about the pyramids that we reside in. Think about the pyramids that we, we own as well. And it can be so subtle. It could be, and, and it's, it's manifested in how we judge each other. It's manifested in the first questions that we're wondering. Someone, what is your education? Because that's what I really care about. Where have you gone on vacation? What watch are you wearing? You know, how, what, what's your waistline? Um, how good are you at basketball? How buff are you? And we have all of these pyramids that we've resided our whole life into and said, this is what really matters. This is what I'm really worshiping. This is what I value the most. And Christians can do that as well, right? We could have this whole pyramid etched out in religion, in looking at people around us and saying, oh, they're the bottom of the pyramid. They say they're Christian, but they're doing all these things. They're listening to this kind of music. They're dressing like that. They're doing this. And then we have the middle where it's like, oh, she reads the Bible every day. She has her Christian lingo down, you know, like she goes to church every Sunday. And then, of course, the top is me, right? A picture of Wilson right at the tip of the pyramid, um, the Pharisee of Pharisees, right? And then, and, uh, and we can, and we, we have a tendency to put up ladders. Uh, we have a tendency to want to rank ourselves. We have a tendency to climb those ladders. Now, Jesus is saying that if you belong to this world, it will love you as its own. If you own one of those pyramids and you say, I want to climb it, I want to be, I want to be beautiful, I want to be wealthy, I want to be the top of this company, I don't care what it takes, that's what I value, that's what I'm worshiping, that's what I'm gunning for, that pyramid and the people in it will love you. You belong to them. You're one of them. You're valuing what they value. They will applaud you. They will give you accolades. They will help you ascend to the top because you're in their system. But Jesus is saying that you don't belong to those pyramids. You don't belong to those systems. That I have chosen you out of it. And that's why the world hates you. That's why they'll reject you. That's why they'll look down on you. That's why you'll always be at the bottom to them. Or you'll be in this category that they don't, that doesn't even matter, right? Maybe, I think gaming is one of the best illustrations of this because it's such a niche uh, ladder board, right? If you're into Clash of Clans, that's pretty much all you talk about, you know, that's pretty much all you compare yourself to. And then people who are into like, uh, zoom, zoom, zoom. That's like all they care about. And we have like different ladder boards, right? And, and so if you're in one ladder board, everyone there cares. But once you leave that ladder board, no one cares. I don't care that you have like a wall made of jewels and you know, you have this indefensible defense system that's a maze. I don't care, right? And I think that's why Jesus made so many people angry. Because, oops. 
Uh, okay, here we go. Because with his words and with his actions, he is toppling their pyramid. He's saying that these pyramids, what you've spent your life on, what you value the most, what you want everyone else to value, it really doesn't matter. There's another kingdom that matters more. There's another kingdom that really matters. He says, he talks, he, does, he speaks it, and then he verifies it with what he does. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. And then he, that's what he says, and then he does it with his words, and it kind of mirrors uh, both. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. So what does Jesus do? He comes into our world with all of these established hierarchies, with all of these established systems, and he calls them sin. What he's saying to, is, is not that, he's saying that all of these things are meaningless. All of these things are not worthy of worship. All of these things are not worthy of our love, are not worthy of purpose, but I am. And he just upsets to the core value all of these stockbrokers of power and of authority. He's telling the wealthy, you know, even though you have a lot on this earth and you feel like you can just lay back, have all these barns, and the rest of your life is set for you, even though you feel secure there, he gives an eternal perspective. He says, one day you'll die. What if I command the life out of you right now? Where is your security then? Where is your wealth then? He talks about a man who's wealthy and a man who's poor on this life. But then the wealthy man goes to hell and the poor man goes to heaven. And for eternity, their roles are flipped. So he's talking to these power holders, these stockbrokers of wealth. And he's saying, what you're accumulating and hoarding doesn't really matter. He tells the people who are political, right? He, he tells uh, Pilate, who, who feels like he has Jesus' life and, and death in his hands, and he says, you only have the power that God gives you. It's given to you. He says, if you want to fear someone, fear someone who can't just put your body into the ground. Fear someone who has power over your body and your soul. He tells the religious leaders that they're just empty tombs, that all of their righteous acts isn't what earns them salvation. He tells all of the people who are moral and ethical and, and have done all of these good things, and he says, but they're like empty rags. They're like dirty rags. What you really need is me. And he goes around in his society, in his world, and he just starts pushing over these pyramids. He just starts toppling them. And all the people at the top get really frustrated. All the people at the top of the pyramid who, who achieve it, all of the people on the second level who's so close to having what they want, they are angry with Jesus. They hate him. Uh-oh. They, they knock over stuff, right? And, and they go, and they want to kill him because he's giving them another system. 
But all the people at the bottom of the pyramid who are poor, who are spiritually depraved, who are rejected from the temple, who are unpopular, they have been longing for a way out. They have been longing for another system. And they go and they follow Jesus. Some people at the top of the pyramid, they get there. They get to their wealth. They get to the highest religious status and they find it to be empty. And a few of them leave and follow Jesus as well. And Jesus is saying, how they treat me, they will also treat you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. Because they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will also obey yours. Um, they will treat you this way because of my name, for they did not know the one who sent me. All this I told you that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they do not know, they do not know the Father or me. I, tell, I told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I've warned you. I do not tell you this, I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. So Jesus is saying, just like they, because you're living in another system, because you've, you know, the one who lives in God's kingdom isn't floored by money, right? Isn't running after sex, isn't defined by their, their company, or their social status, or their beauty. Because we live in another world, in another system, Jesus is saying, people are going to hate you. People aren't going to get you. People are going to reject you because you've rejected their system. And, and, and that's something we need to go into the world being inoculated by. If we walk into a world feeling like we can be a suburban, Asian, wannabe gangster, and Christian, you know, we're going to be disillusioned. If we walk into our company thinking like we're going to rise to the top and we can cut every, we can be greedy and we can cut every corner and be Christian, we're going to be disillusioned. If we're walking into our social circles thinking that we can gossip about people and we can bend over backwards and be a people pleaser and be Christian, we're going to be disillusioned. There needs to be a sense that we belong to Jesus. And it's okay to be rejected by this world because we don't belong to it. Can we go to the last slide, Katie? Help me. All right. Uh, yep, there it is. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth goes out from the Father. He will testify about me, and you must also testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. And so Jesus is saying that even though the world rejects us, we still need to speak truth and be a testimony into the world. I think we do that by being okay with having a totally different paradigm. I remember hanging out with my friends in college and guys and girls, and in college it's, you know, like all of them were about uh, have we, I don't know, I don't know how the conversation goes here a lot, 
uh, in college, but we just talked about like sex a lot, right? And so everyone would talk about what they've done, and then um, and they've done some <laughs> really amazing things. And then it got to me, right? And and uh, in college, um, I was like I was like one in the group. So in high school, I wanted to be cool, but I wasn't. But in college, I shaved my head, and suddenly, like, no one knew me, and they thought I was, like, super cool, right? So I hung out with all the frat people, all the party people. And, and there is a sense, though, that I, was, I could belong to Jesus and be with them and testify. I think the same group God called me out of in high school so that I could find my identity in him, after I belonged to Jesus, he called me back into in college, but not for belonging, but to be a testimony. So anyways, we're having this uh, conversation, and then it gets to me, and they're like, hey, Wilson, what have you done, right? And like, again, I was one of the cool kids, so they're expecting like the most elaborate stories, and I was like, yeah, I'm a virgin, and they're like, you're a liar, you know, are you trying to impress the girls here? You're a liar, right? And they just call me liar for five minutes, and because I'm like outside of their pyramid, right? The top of their pyramid is the guy who sleeps with the most people, and the bottom of the pyramid is the virgins. And, I'm at, and they just can't put that together. And I'm telling them, well, like, I live in a different system. You know, I, I want to fall in love with a girl and commit to her. And I, I said, you know, you know how, like, you guys just go, you know, and I've, I've done this with them but not with them. I said, you know how you guys go to clubs and you just kind of make out with anyone? And, and like, the 170th time you've made out with the 50th girl, it means nothing. But, but, you, but we always refer back to that first kiss, right? We always refer back to that first person that we, that we kissed, and it was special. And I said, you know, I want the first time that I make love to be really special. I don't want it to be meaningless. And they looked at me like I was totally different, that I belonged to a different system, that I belonged to a different world. You know, some of my friends became really wealthy, and, and everyone kind of, when one of them comes to town, he's extremely wealthy. We all hang out because we're childhood friends, and everyone gawks at him and hears his stories and wants to hear about the new car that he drives and the new hotels that he's sleeping in, and I'm just kind of like, I don't, I don't think that's a big deal, <laughs> you know? I'm like, it don't matter that much to me. I, I care about these other things. Um, as, I, as I hung out with these guys, I felt like I could belong to Jesus and be okay with the times that I was reje rejected by them or that they just, like, didn't understand me, but still be a testimony. And I have I, I found out that there's this really interesting law when it comes to guys, that the more guys there are, the stupider they become. It's, you could chart it, right? The IQ just drops with the number of guys that are gathered in a room. And so, you know, when we're all together, we go party, we talk about, you know, sex and all these different things. But, and I said, you know, I'm here not to just party with them. I want to be a testimony. And so I started thinking, oh, wait, there's this chart. And if I hang out with them one-on-one, -on -one, they're like more intelligent, right? So I started taking out these guys one-on-one. -on -one, and I had lunches with them, and I had dinners with them, and we'd go have coffee. And all of a sudden, they want to talk about family and purpose and, and even, even spiritual stuff. And, and at the end of that year, 10 of them started coming to church and Bible study. And, 
And I was able, in one, in high school, I wanted to belong, and so I was dragged away and conflicted. In college, I knew where I belonged, and I got to be a testimony. The two guys that I didn't reach out to as much um, because they scared me, right? One guy, he was like, they all kind of uh, deal drugs, but one of them was like the wholesaler, right? He'd go to the hardcore people, buy stuff, and then deal drugs to everyone else, and they would deal to other people. And, and then the other guy that, that I knew, he was like this hardcore, like, marine guy who, like, I think killed a few people. <laughs> he was really nice to me, but I was like, I don't think I want to cross him. So I never talked to these two. And then one day I'm walking into, like, New Song, and, you know, every... Everyone should go to New Song. And so, um, and the Marine guy, he hands me like a bulletin, right? And I was like, what the heck, you know? And he's like, yeah, I became a Christian. I was like, how did that happen? And he talked about how someone else, like, introduced Jesus to him. And then um, I go to this praise night of, of, a few months later, and this pastor gives an awful sermon and does the worst altar call that I've ever seen. It's, like, awkward for, like, 10 minutes, right? And we're just standing there, like, please move on. You know, there's, like, hundreds of us. And uh, he, he, didn't, he didn't care. He just, just awkward silence all the way through. And then from the back, there was, I just saw this person walk to the front. And I was like, I know that guy. And he's on his own walking to the front. Everyone turns to stare at him. And he doesn't care. He walks all the way to the front of the room. And that was the wholesale drug dealer, you know? The person that I never thought would become a Christian. Um, I think what God has for us is he has us belong to a community, belong into his family, and give testimony. And tell people, you don't have to earn belonging. You don't have to earn love. You don't have to work this ladder to find value and purpose. There's this other world. There's this other kingdom where the God of the universe will just let you in. He died for you. He loves you. And you don't have to earn it. And we get to walk into that kind of family. We get to walk into that kind of kingdom. And we get to tell other people who are working so hard in their system, tell people who have given up and just feel hopeless, tell people who are at the top and and feel like it's all been pointless, we get to tell them that there's another system, another kingdom where God loves them where you don't have to earn it, where you can p- find purpose and acceptance and belonging with a God who's just there and who just loves you, who died on the cross for your sins. I think the greatest gift that Renew Church has to offer you is that, is that kind of belonging. It's not perfect, but it's pretty good. You know, our greatest gift isn't the worship, it's not the sermons, especially this one. It's, it's feeling like you're a part of a family where, from where you're at right now. You know, this last week, I had four people stop me and just say, man, I love your church. I love Renew. And I said, why? And they said, because I feel like I can belong. Because people care about me. I don't have to climb this ladder of beauty I don't have to wear the most expensive clothes. I don't have to be charismatic. Like, people just approach me, and they want me to belong. And we get to offer that to you 
because God offers it to all of us. The first step into his kingdom wasn't working hard, wasn't being a good Christian, wasn't paying dues, right? It's just letting God love us. It's just asking for him to forgive us. You know, I, I love this message. And I was telling Epic that I've had the privilege of bringing that message to prisoners behind concrete walls and steel bars and tell them, you know what? They've given up. <laughs> they know they're not going to be a good person in the standard of this world. And I get to bring a new kingdom, a new system to them where here's how it works. Jesus just brings you in. And all the righteousness, he just gives it to you. The life that he lived, the righteousness that he has, he gives it to you. The way that God loves the son, he gives that to you. And all of your sin and all of the things you've done wrong, he forgives you. All you have to do is ask. I get to go to homeless shelters and, and I've gone to Skid Row and I've gone to, you know, um, group homes. And I've been able to just bring that kingdom into people at the bottom of the spectrum, the bottom of the pyramid who've given up. And I said, wait, there's something else that you don't have to earn. But I, I also want to offer that to you as well. I want to offer you a family, a place to belong. I want to offer you value and purpose where you don't have to earn it, but you just get to receive it by grace. You know, today as we take communion, I hope that that's what we'll remember that Jesus died on the cross for us. And it's not something we earned. It was a gift of God. That he shed his blood, his body was broken, so that we can just be in his family. And we can be freed from all these other systems. All these other things that the world has to climb and work and sacrifice everything else for. He says, I can bring you out of that and give you everything else they're looking for, love and belonging and hope and purpose for free. God, today we come to you and we think about all the other times where we had to earn stuff, all the other times where we had to prove ourselves, all the other systems that we've tried to climb, whether it's beauty or wealth or education or social status. And we ask, Lord, that you would, you would draw us away from those systems, from the world, that we wouldn't belong to them, that in some ways we would be marked as your disciples because we're rejected by them, because they look at us and they don't know how to rank us. They look at us and they don't know what part of the ladder board to put us in. They look at us and they see people who don't belong. And I ask, Lord, that we would belong to you, that we would find a community that would remind us that money is to give away and to build your kingdom and not to give us value, that we can use beauty and fame and social status to proclaim your name, to elevate you, and that the things we want most, you've already given to us. I pray that we would be in that system, in that world, and have our feet planted there 
as we go to the other world and testify of your gospel. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.